Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. I'm Yael Ziegler, and we're picking up in this final installment on Parshat Shmot. We're picking up in, in Perak Dalet, Pasuk Kafav. Here we have Moshe um, on his way to Egypt, and we saw that there was a terrible incident on the way. Um, and in the meantime, we have Hashem speaking to Aharon to go and meet Moshe so that they can start their partnership. That's how this Pasuk starts. Vayomer Adunai el Aharon lech likrat Moshe hamidbara vayelech vayifkeshehu behar ha'elohim vayishaklo. So we have Hashem saying to Aaron, go and, and greet Moshe in the desert. And he went and he met him at the mountain of God and he kissed him. So there are several things here I think that are significant. First of all, here we have this wonderful meeting between brothers, which the Midrash thinks is quite significant. I think it's very significant, especially in light of the fact that the relationships between brothers were a, a very big, if not the very big problem in Say February Sheet. Um, and so here we have this reconciliation between brothers or this love between brothers. The Midrash uh, sees this as quite a, an important part of this moment. Um, also that they meet at Har HaElohim, right? So that uh, Aharon now becomes privy to part of the experience that Moshe had at Har HaElohim. Moshe is now going to tell Aharon all the things that Hashem told him. And it's significant that he tells him at Har HaElohim. So just as we saw at the end of that section in which Hashem was was uh, tried to convince Moshe to go, and Moshe it really refuses. And finally, Hashem says, "Okay, so then I'm going to send Aharon with you, and you will speak to Aharon, and Aharon will be uh, your spokesperson." So Aharon becomes part of this mission, and in order to become part of the mission, he goes to Har Ha'eloki. Significance of Aharon's role in the story is also indicated by the fact that Hashem speaks directly to Aharon here by Yomer Hashem El Aharon. This is a very rare occurrence. Usually, if God speaks to Aaron, it's to Aaron and Moshe. I believe there are only two more times in all of the Torah that Hashem speaks directly to Aaron. So this, again, this draws Aaron into the mission. And the other significant point is the word Ba'if Keshehu, right? He goes, Aaron goes, and he meets him at Har Elohim. This is the second time that we've had the word Ba'if Keshehu in just a few psukim, but the first Ve'if Kesheh, which was in Perak Dalet, Pasuk Kaf Dalet, was a life-threatening incident for Moshe, Ve'if Kesheh, Hashem Ve'evakesh Amito. And here we have almost the, tiku, the tikuna of that Ve'if Kesheh, we have when Aaron meets Moshe, and they begin their mission, especially, that I think is especially significant, in light of the fact that we suggested that the word Ve'if Kesheh, Hashem Ve'evakesh Amito, that when God tried to kill Moshe, it may have been some sort of punishment, at least according to the Rashbam, for Moshe's refusal, but here we have the launching of the mission, and things here are are much more positive. So um, Aaron goes and he meets Moshe at Har Elokim and he kisses him. Moshe la Aharon et kol divrei Adunai asher Moshe tells Aaron all of the words of God that God had sent him and all of the signs that he had commanded him. And this really very much seems to be in keeping with what Hashem had told Moshe previously when, when Moshe had finally issued his blank refusal. So Hashem said, fine, you speak to Aaron. We had in and you will put the things in his mouth. And then, of course, he will become the mouthpiece for you to the people. And this is what we have uh, beginning here. So Moshe is now telling Aaron all the things that Hashem told him. So Moshe and Aaron go 
and they gather together all of the elders of Israel. This again also is in keeping with what Hashem had told Moshe in Per Gimel Pasuk Kedzayin at the burning bush, Lech Asafta et Ziknei Yisrael, go and gather the elders of Israel. The elders of Israel are important both because they're leaders and because they're the keepers of the tradition. And of course, this idea of reconnecting the people with God requires the leadership of those people who have the long-term memory of the nation. Um, one interesting point, which is which I think is significant throughout the Torah, is that the word vayelech, which is singular, modifies both Moshe and Aharon. This is really very common in the in the Torah, especially when it comes to Moshe and Aaron. Aaron seems to be subsumed under Moshe's actions. Moshe is the dominant figure, and Aaron goes along with him. But together they gather the elders of Israel. One can imagine that Aaron is very instrumental here. Of course, let's not forget that Moshe has not been around for a very long time, and Aaron has been. So together they go out and they gather the elders of Israel, Pasuk Lamed, and Aaron speaks all the things that God had told Moshe. And there we have that perfect communication. Hashem told Moshe, Moshe tells Aaron, Aaron tells the people. And he did the signs in front of the people. Now, um, the he here seems to modify Aaron. Uh, that's what some of them Farshim say. Um, and yet, of course, we know that it was Moshe that was supposed to do the otot, so this is left somewhat ambiguous. Is it Moshe who does the signs in front of Israel? Is it Aharon? One can understand why perhaps Moshe would not do it in this particular situation, given that, once again, the people are not familiar with Moshe, whereas they, they, they are familiar with Aharon. Vayamen ha'am, and the people believe and they hear that Hashem has remembered B'nai Israel and that he saw their oppressions, he saw their, their troubles, and they prostrated themselves, they, they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves. So here we have this response which seems to be overwhelmingly positive, right, for all of Moshe's fears that um, you know, and God gives him the otot. After these otot are done, there doesn't seem to be any friction here. There's no tension at all. The people, in fact, believe him and they listen. And of course, what is it that they hear? They hear that Hashem has re remembered them and that he sees their travails, right? This is certainly a positive message and they are willing to accept it. It doesn't, it's not actually a, a particularly demanding message as it does not require anything from them. Um, we now launch the mission, starting in Parakei Pasuk Aleph. V'achar ba'u Moshe v'aron v'yemru el par'o ko'amar Adonai Elohei Yisrael shalach et ami v'yachoguli b'midbar. So here, first of all, note, and afterwards, Moshe and Aaron together came. This is in plural form. V'yemru el par'o, together they speak to par'o. This, as I said, is somewhat unusual in terms of verb forms that tend to describe Moshe and Aaron. It seems to be that they're working here together. And look at their words. Their words are very bold. Ko amar Hashem Yisrael. So says God, the God of Israel. Shalach et ami, send my people. V'yachogu li bamidbar. And they should engage in festivities they, for me in the desert. They should um, uh, celebrate me in the desert. So first of all, they quote God. They use ko amar Hashem. It seems bold and confident and proud. 
Um, this is these are the words that Hash, that Hashem gave to Moshe to say to Paro only in Perak Dalit Pasuk Kafbet when he said say to Paro Ko Hashem Bini Bechori Israel. So this is not an exact quote of what Hashem told Moshe. In fact, here it feels as though Moshe and Aaron are filled with confidence. They go in, they say, send my people, let them celebrate to 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 God in the desert. The word shalach et ami, send my people, is are very is a very important phrase in the story. It appears seven times in the story, making it one of the um, what we call a bitui manche, right? A a let motif of the story itself. What's interesting is that Moshe and Aaron come before Paro, but the elders have disappeared. There's no more Zikdei Israel. The very famous Rashi who says that the elders. Uh, sort of slipped out one by one. They were way too terrified to take part in this mission. In any case, though, here we do have only Moshe and Aaron going into Paro, and the the sense of their you know of their confidence is palpable. They also don't limit the festivities. They don't say give us three days. They say let us go. We are going to celebrate God. God demands that we um uh, that we have a celebration for Him in the desert. Vayomer Paro. Look at Paro's response. Paro said. Mi Adunai Asher Eshma Bekolo Lushalach et Israel. Lo Yadati et Adunai. Vigamet Israel, Lo Ashalach. So Paro's response is incredibly chutzpadek, right? He says, Who is God that I should let listen to his voice to send out Israel? And look here how he calls Israel Israel. This, by the way, is, is going to be the last time that Paro actually refers to Israel. As Israel until Perak Yibet, until the end of Perak Yibet, when he gets up in the middle of the night and tells Moshe and Aaron that you know they can go, they could take Israel with them. And here, of course, he uses this also this this uh, very resonant uh, word Lo Yadati et Hashem, I don't know God, and also Israel, I will not send. Right. So we have this first moment of the clash between Paro and Moshe and Aaron, which is really, of course, a clash between Paro and God. And this statement, Lo Yadati et Hashem, I don't know God. This is going to be very important uh, for understanding the rest of the story, where we keep where we keep saying over and over during the signs, Viadu Mitzrayim Kani Hashem, Viadu Viadu, and they will know. Right. So the word to know here is very significant. Here we have the two lows. Lo yadati, lo ashaleach. At this point, Moshe and Aaron speak again. It seems to be a bit toned down, perhaps because of Paro's response. Vayomru, and they said, The God of the Ivrim has called to us, Let us go for three days, a three-day three journey into the desert, and we will sacrifice to God. Lest we will be struck with plague or with the sword. Certainly seems to be a toned down request. What we have here is, first of all, in response to Paro's question, Who is this God? They introduced God, This is the God of the Ivrim. They use the term Ivrim, which is the term that the Mitzrim use in order to describe uh, Am Yisrael. Um, and they request to go only for three days. Instead of talking about festivities, they just talk about sacrifice. And they also offer an explanation, right? They say, well, you know, we have to do this because there's a danger. If we don't do it, God will strike us down with either Dever or Cherev. 
with either plague or a sword. Of course, the Mepharshim ask, why would Paro care? Uh, some of the Mepharshim seem to suggest that this is not in Paro's interest. The Barbanel suggests that, you know, he stands to lose his labor, his his uh, slaves, if if they are struck down with Dever and Cherev. Other Mepharshim note that, that both Dever and Cherev, both plague and sword, uh, even if it comes upon Am Yisrael, it could easily spread to the Egyptians. So Paro is being sort of implicitly threatened. And Rashi uh, suggests that, in fact, what he really means to say, what, what Moshe really means to say to Paro is, echa, lest God will strike you with the plague or with the sword. But he uses polite language in order to threaten Paro. In any case, Paro is not pleased by this request either. And in Pasuk Dalid, Vayomer Alehem Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt, summons up the full force of his regal authority. He's called here Melech Mitzrayim, and, he, and the king of Mitzrayim said to them, Lama Moshe ve'aharon tafriu et Why should Moshe and Aaron, you will disturb the nation from their activities, go to your burdens? So there are two, I think, very interesting things to note here. One is that he mentions Moshe and Aaron by name. Is he talking to them? Is he talking about them? Is he talking to the entire court and, you know, sort of going between speaking to Moshe and Aaron and speaking about them? But he certainly uh, uh, seems to be making a pronouncement here. Moshe and Aaron do not have the right to disturb his labor force. Look at how he uh, uses the word tafriu. Why should you... Uh, I translate it as bother, but it really comes from the word parua, which means to unbind, to make someone wild. Right? It sounds as though the king of Egypt feels that he is controlling these people, and Moshe and Aaron are setting in motion this uncontrolled desire of the nation for freedom. Perhaps there's also a wordplay between the word tafriu and the word paro. In any case, what's clear is that the king of Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt, is offering a blanket refusal to this request. Go to your uh, burdens, go go to your work. Uh, some of the Mepharshim understand from this that Moshe and Aaron were also part of the slave force, in which case I think this is, I mean, the Ramban suggests this. This is an incredible notion that Moshe comes back to Egypt only to become enslaved, which is really, I think, a very um, uh, troubling notion. Uh, Rashi says, no, it, it, uh, we know that the tribe of Levi was not enslaved, and Paro is just saying, go back to your household work, go do your work now. You don't, don't bother trying to get the people a couple days off because it's not going to work. I know Jacob claims that this entire pasuk is actually spoken to the elders who are in fact there, in which he turns to them and says, why should Moshe and Aaron disturb you from your labors? Go back to your labors. And it's only in Pesuke, according to Beno Jacob, that actually Paro turns back to Moshe and Aaron. In any case, in Pesuke, Paro again speaks. We have another Vayomer. Vayomer Paro. Hin rabim ata am They are many now, this nation of the land. Otam And you will make them seize from their labors. However you understand this, it seems to be that the king of Egypt is just mumbling to himself in anger. First he turns and says, why are you disturbing them? And then he goes on and he says, there are many, how could you disturb them? Or he seems to be sort of mulling this over, and this is clearly disturbing him very much. The word rabim, of course, has ominous connotations because it was that word that actually set in motion originally 
the decrees of Paro. Paro feels threatened by the people because there are many, and along come Moshe and Aaron and try to get him to give them some sort of uh, national independence, even if it has a religious context, and Paro certainly is not going to be amenable to that. On that day, that same day that Moshe and Aaron came, Paro commanded the Nogsim and the Shotrim. Uh, here again, I'm, there's no doubt that Paro's command is a response to Moshe and Aaron, and he commands the Nogsim Ba'am, that's the oppressors of the people, the Shotrav, that is either the foremen or the those who guard them, those who police them. Um, there's some discussion as to whether or not these Nogsim and Shotrim are Egyptian or they're Jewish. Rashi really divides between them. Rashi says the Nogsim, which is a more negative word. Those are the Egyptians and the Shotrav. Those are the Jews. Others say that they're both either both Egyptian or both Jews. In any case, they're the foremen, and Paro commands them, saying, You should not continue to give straw to the nation in order to make their bricks, as you did yesterday and the day before. They will go and pick for themselves and gather for themselves the straw. But the quota, the amount of bricks which they were doing yesterday and the day before, you still place it upon them. Do not subtract from it. For they are soft, they are lazy. That is why they cry out and say, Let us go and let us sacrifice to our God. Uh, make the 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 work heavy upon people via suba and let them do it the shaker and let them not pay attention to these false words to these deceitful words so all of this seems to be on the one hand there's a portrait perhaps for the first time of their actual slavery and the punishment itself it does not seem designed particularly to help paro it's just designed to make their work harder. It is punitive in nature, but it's also an attempt to, to try to uh, perhaps crush their um, their hopes that they can emerge from slavery. There seem to be some references in this section to Midal Bavel, Lilbon Halivinim, reminds us of Lilbinalivinim. That, of course, was a society that built in order to make for themselves a name. And this, of course, is a caricature of what happens to these kinds of societies which are building to promote their own names. Well, here again, we have this condition of slavery, this nameless, faceless society in which everyone is building, but there's no sense of identity. So there is a connection, I think, between the story of Migdal Lavelle and this depiction of slavery. We'll see it again a little bit later in Pasuk Yudet. Reminds us also of the language of Migdal Bavel. In any case, here in Pasuk Yud, the oppressors of the nation and these foremen go out uh, in order to fulfill, of course, the word of Paro. And they say to the people, saying, So says Paro, I'm not giving for you straw. Of course, I emphasize the Koamar Paro, that is meant to clash with the Koamar Hashem previously. We have this almost showdown between this human regal king who thinks that it is his place to determine 
who lives and who dies to 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 enslave the people to him when of course ultimately the message of the story is that it's only god who determines life and death and it is only god who uh to who the people really should be serving um in any case the continuation of this declaration by paro is i'm not going to give you straw atem lechu you go and of course that's ironic because moshe had said nilchana uh, we want to go and worship God. And then Paro says, no, no, you can go, but not to worship God, but rather to serve me. Take for yourselves straw from wherever you find it. Because we are not detracting. We're not um, subtracting anything from the amount um, of your of your work. Not even one thing. And the nation spreads out over all the land of Egypt in order to gather up this uh, this stubble for the straw. This, I think, Pasuk shows us that it's becoming scarce. It's a scarce commodity. They have to spread out to find it. It's getting harder and harder to find. And the nature of this work is so difficult for the people that the word kash actually is going to reappear again in Shirat Hayam, Yochalemo Kakash, in order to recall this difficult aspect of the slavery in which instead of adhering to Moshe's request and and allowing them to go worship God, he instead makes their work even harder and forces them to go out and to find the straw in order to make the bricks. And the oppressors urge them, uh, saying, Finish your work each day. Uh, you have to finish the amount for that day, just as when we gave you straw. Now, at this point, even though previously the Nogseha'am and the Shotrav came out together in order to represent Paras' words in Pasuk Yud, here we seem to divide between them. This is the reason that Rashi, in, in the wake of the Midrash, wanted to distinguish between the Nogsim, who seem to be Egyptians, and the Shotrim, who are uh, of Am Yisrael. If you look in Pasuk Yud Dalet, it's not entirely clear if that that distinction is correct but yuku shotre bnei israel asher samo lehem noksei parole mor madua lo khilitem chukhem lirbon ketmol shershom gam tmol gam hayom so the shotre bnei israel the policemen of bnei israel were struck they were hit on behalf of bnei israel uh, or they weren't hit by bnei israel but they were hit because they were the representatives um, and they were the ones who the Nogsei Pharaoh had put over as the foreman over B'nai Israel, saying, why did you not finish your quota to make the bricks as you did yesterday and the day before? Now, again, Shotrei B'nai Israel seems to suggest that they are part of B'nai Israel. However, just as we said with the Mialdot Ivrim, it could be these are the Shotrim over B'nai Israel uh, and not the Shotrim of B'nai Israel. And that they were in fact Egyptian. This is this is the um, the position in case of Beno Jacob. In any case, it's not entirely clear. Uh, what is important here is that we do have the sense of the hierarchy of slavery. Each one is sort of foisting responsibility upon the next. Nobody here has names, not the Nogsim and not the Shotrim, even if they're Egyptians or if they're uh, actually part of Bnei Israel. Nobody has names, nobody has identity, everybody is foisting responsibility onto the next, and we have simply here this sense of the mechanism of slavery, this sort of well-oiled machine where everybody is 
uh, sort of, you know, reduced just to their job. At this point, the Shotre B'nai Israel come before Parol, Ve'evol Shotre B'nai Israel, Ve'itz'aku El Parol Emor, and they come and they cry out to Parol, saying, Lama ta'asecho la'avadecha? Why are you doing this to your servants? Teven ein mitan la'avadecha? There is no straw that is given to your servants. Ulevinim umrim lanu asu, and they say to us to make these bricks. Vihine avadecha mukim, and behold, your servants are being beaten. Vichatat amecha. Okay, so note first of all the sort of groveling attitude that we have here on the part of the Shotrei B'nai Israel. They refer to themselves three times as avadecha. And here, of course, they come before Paro in complaint. Why are you doing this to us? You're 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 telling us to to uh, to make the bricks. You're not giving us any straw, and now we're being beaten. Of course, they don't blame Paro directly. Everything here is very indirect. They get, tell us to make it, and and they are uh, not giving us tevin. Vechatat amecha is it somewhat elliptical? It's not exactly clear what that means at the end of the Pasuk. Does it mean, and you, by this decree, cause your, serve, your, your people to sin? Or is it, and in doing this, you sin to your servants, which is really somewhat bold? Or are they saying, and in this, your servants, in, in, in hitting us, your servants sin. So there are several ways to understand this, but what I think that we have to note here is that the Shotre B'nai Israel um, here come before Paro with uh, begging and pleading and groveling and referring to themselves as Avadecha, and they request that Paro get rid of this very difficult decree. In any case, we note Paro's response to the Shotre B'nai Israel. Perhaps the Shotre B'nai Israel had enjoyed some sort of elevated status before this. They are, of course, appointed over B'nai Israel. But when Paro speaks to them, he speaks to them just as though they are slaves. They're reduced to being like everyone else, of course, before Paro. The Yomer near Pimatem near Pim, he says to them, You are soft, you are soft, you are lazy, right? That's what he's implying. That is why you say, Let us go, and we will sacrifice to God, right? You have too much time on your hands. You you are not uh, focused on your work. And now go. Work. You see that the word evid here is very, very prominent in this section. And I said in general, in Sefer Shemot, the word evid is very important. The clash between serving Paro and serving God. Of course, the book is going to close with Avodah Be'ohel Mo'ed, Avodah Be'mishkan, proper service of God. But it opens with this enslavement to Paro. The Atai says, Pasuk Yudchet Lechu Ivdu, go serve Go uh, be slaves. And straw will not be given to you. And you will still give the quota of the bricks. And the Shotre B'nai Israel, the foreman over B'nai Israel, saw that they were in trouble, that things were bad for them, saying, when when it was said, you cannot d subtract from your bricks and the amount that you're supposed to bring every day. The question as to who is the otam that they see that are are experiencing evil 
um, is a an important Parshanu question. Rashi says that they looked at Am Yisrael and they saw their troubles. They, they saw that things were bad for them. The Ibn Ezra suggests that they were more looking at themselves and they were seeing that their own troubles. In any case, this is what leads us to the next Pasuk, where they are going to encounter, they are going to have some sort of showdown with Moshe and Aharon when they are coming out of the palace. Leads us to the next Pasuk, and they met, but paga is a strong kind of word. It means that they encountered Moshe and Aharon, they were standing to greet them, when they came out from Paro. Um, there are certain things here that are ambiguous. Who is coming to greet whom? Who is coming out from Paro? In any case, the sense here is the clash between Moshe and Aharon and the Shutrei Bnei Israel. Both the word paga suggests the clash, and of course it reminds us of uh, Moshe and Aharon's words to Paro in Pesach Gimel, lest he will strike us. So the word paga in this parsha also has the meaning of striking, um, which which seems to contain within it a certain uh, violent kind of of connotation. So they meet Aaron and Moshe and Aharon. Uh, they're coming out of Paro. It, it, it seems to be the Shotrei Bnei Israel that are coming out from Paro, but it could also be Moshe and Aaron. In which case, Moshe and Aaron also seem to be going to Paro to try to soften. Maybe they go every day to try to soften the decree. In any case, their response to uh, Moshe and Aaron is as follows. And they said to them, God should look upon you and he should judge. That you made us loathsome in the eyes of Paro and in the eyes of the servants. To give a sword into their hands to kill us. In other words, they're accusing Moshe and Aaron of responsibility for uh, Paro's decree, for them being struck by Paro's servants. The um, the words here do recall Moshe's confrontation earlier in Parak Bet with the two Ivrim Mitzim, with the two um, uh, Hebrews who were struggling, and there also they used the word Shafot and and Harag. Right when when Moshe tried to stop them from fighting, uh, the response was Misamchali Ish Sarvish Shofet Aleinu. Who made you an officer and a judge over us? Halehorgenia Talmer, Kasher Haragta Temitri. Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? In other words, who who brought you here to help us? You're not helping us. You are only making things worse. And the words here recall the words there. In fact, I think the Midrash by identifying. Um, these people speaking here as Datan Aviram, and they also identify those previous two people speaking in Parakvet as Datan Aviram. I think they're trying to show that connection between these two scenarios because really, in essence, they're saying something very similar. They're turning to Moshe and Aaron and they're saying, you were coming here as if, you know, with this sort of moral superiority, as if you're going to help us, as if, you know, you, you have uh, some sort of solution for us, and instead you made things worse. And we hold you responsible for what has happened. Now, what is Moshe's response here? And it is important, I think, to recall Moshe's previous response to a similar kind of accusation, a similar kind of confrontation. There, Moshe ran away from, from the story and ran away from the people. He sort of seemed to have despaired. 
Here, look at what Moshe does. Pasuk Kafet. Vayashov Moshe el Adonai vayomar. Adonai lama hareota laam haze lama ze shlachtani. Umeaz bati el paro lidaber bishmecha. Hira laam haze. Vehatzel lo hitzalta et amecha. Moshe turns to God and he says, God, why have you made it worse for this nation? Why did you send me? And from the time that I came to Paro to speak in your name, things have only gotten worse for this nation, and you did not save your nation. So here, first of all, I think it's important to note that Moshe has assumed responsibility. Uh, he's assumed responsibility for the people. He uh, is in an ongoing relationship with God. He immediately turns back to God. He, again, does turn to God in complaint, but he doesn't abandon the people. He doesn't run to the Midbar. He doesn't run to the desert. Instead, he turns to God. There is some discussion among the Mefreshim as to whether or not this kind of confrontation, or these kinds of words that Moshe hurls at God, is this acceptable or is it not acceptable? Many of the Mefreshim think that, in fact, it is the Rambam, the Ibn Ezra, following also some of the Midrashim, seem to assume that here Moshe is actually functioning appropriately. He's functioning here as Navi as a representative of the people. And in addition, of course, Moshe really did not realize that things could get worse for the people. I and mean, from, from his perspective, God said to him, go to Egypt and, you know, and, and, you know, speak to Paro and, and I'll punish Paro and we'll take out the people. He never is told, you know, there might be a stage when things will get worse for the people, for the people. So this for Moshe certainly uh, might come as a surprise and it's more than he bargained for. And at this point, he turns to God with uh, both, I think, a certain bewilderment and even perhaps a certain sense of the unfairness of the situation. Um, and he asks God, uh, why, why did you do this? Now, uh, Rashi, following a Midrash, uh, says, in fact, that this is not acceptable, that Moshe turns to God in this kind of complaint and that the answer of God to Moshe contains an implied rebuke and even a punishment. So let's do this final pasuk for today. Vayomer Adunai el Moshe ata tire asher ese le faro. And God said to Moshe, Now you will see what I will do to Paro. Ki viad chazaka yishalachem, uviad chazaka yegarashem me artso. Because with a strong hand he will send you, and with a strong hand he will expel you from his land. So, uh, I mean, here, again, you know, you could see this as something positive. You could see it as something that has a certain implied rebuke. Uh, Rashi, for example, actually following the Midrash, says here that, that the word ata, um, in which God says, now you will see what I will do to Paro, is, uh, contains within it a hint that Moshe will not see what God is later going to do for the people. In other words, here he is told he's not going to go into the land. That certainly is not the pshat, but it does follow this line or this approach in which um, Moshe's, Moshe's uh, words to God are considered, are deemed unacceptable. And the pshat here, it seems to be very much that God says to Moshe, now you're going to see, I'm going to start right now. If until now things just seem to be deteriorating for Am Yisrael, from this point on you're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro. And then we have this description of where God says, with a strong hand he will send you out, with a strong hand he will expel you. Uh, whose strong hand are we talking about? Are we talking about God's strong hand or are we talking about Paro's strong hand? Moshe Greenberg calls us an exquisite ambiguity. Indeed, I think it is. On the one hand, of course, we know that the Yad Chazakah is often referring to God's strong hand, God's strong hand, which, 
of course, uh, trumps the strong hand of any human king. At the same time, what we're being told is, is that God will control Paro's might and will determine what Paro will do with his strong hand. Of course, we recall that in Pasuk Kaf Aleph, when the Shotrei B'nai Israel came to, to uh, chastise Moshe, they said, what you have done is you have made us loathsome in the eyes of Paro and his servants. You, Moshe, gave a sword into their hands. And here, of course, God tells Moshe, I'm the one who controls their hands. And in the end, I will determine what people do with their might. Yad in Tanakh is always a reference to might. And so here God is describing and is promising that he will control the might of Paro. And this, with this, we conclude Parshat Shemot. And in our next class, we will begin Parshat Bayerah.